0: Welcome to Foundation and Podcast, the officially unofficial podcast for Foundation on Apple TV+. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And today we're talking Season 2, Episode 3, titled King and Commoner. Uh, Aaron, what did you think of this episode? I liked this episode. I thought the
1: introduction of two major characters, uh, Hober Mallow, you know, they, what an introduction his character had in terms of just the concept last episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, a warden dying screaming with his names on his lips his name inscribed on the, the vault itself um, instantly appealing interesting character somebody it's like why like you, the whole big question you have is why the fuck would harry selden want to essentially get han solo mm-hmm. you know like how could han solo be the key to anything right how how could some scoundrel uh vagabond con man flim flam man be that and then the other um at uh, the other end of the scale of gravitas and importance is general bell rios mm-hmm. um we talked about like last season you know when they uh black black that poor young woman and the her in eternity the sensory deprivations like wouldn't it be an interesting idea if like you know we visit somebody that gets visited some of these exotic punishments by empire and they and like kind of bel rios is not that because clearly he wasn't you know memory hold for an entire lifetime but Mm -hmm. what doing six years of just the worst kind of labor thinking that your family's been murdered uh and then just out of sheer duty you come back uh full knowing that this is such a treacherous uh institution a, a poorly led institution but you do it for the people i thought that was a really cool uh conceit and then mm-hmm. honestly i I'm mind fucking blown by the end of this we have a corporal corporeal harry Seldon
0: again yeah how's that possible
1: yeah what did you think of
0: all the the, the twists and turns uh, I do really like the two new characters they've introduced. I think they're going to be a lot of fun to watch. Um, I, I don't know. Something about this episode left me a little cold as compared to the first two. Not that it's bad by any stretch. Uh, I still enjoyed it. But yeah, something about the, the in between parts of this. And maybe it's because we didn't see much of the, you know, Lee Pace, uh, Kleonic Dynasty stuff that I love so much because I'm always so excited to see that stuff. And you know th- there's a bit of it here with his interactions with bell but it's it's not the there, same one, flavor right that yeah
1: that one dimmersell scene where it's just sad yeah it's a sad and pathetic
0: yeah. and you don't have the the exchanging of of quips and the the tight uh you know smooth dialogue that you get in some of the other scenes but I, I did definitely enjoy what i saw um and i'm really excited for these two new characters i think hober's introduction is fantastic. Uh this this scam artist who the thief. Um you know, he's he's a, a little bit sillier, but also a little bit more he he seems a little nastier too than a Han Solo. Um Han Solo might be a mercenary, but this guy seems like he might be willing to hurt people. Oh, you got that? I guess he has yeah, something to those about priests. this guy.
1: Just a band, just, just marooned them on this planet where uh-huh. you know, like that like you'd seem that they they'd probably have maybe maybe he's
0: not an act of malicious but like careless. Yeah, maybe that's it. Maybe he's he doesn't take other people's uh life and safety very seriously. <laughs> he
1: but also we preserves he, his own. He might have been ill used by the foundation, you know, that you kinda get that hint sure. that he maybe tried to do like quote unquote the right thing, join the priesthood, be this and that that he just because he's too hover-mallow, or because the mm. priests are too, you know, stuck on themselves, he, he he couldn't succeed in that, so he just went and formed this parasitic relationship with the... He, he's a fascinating character. I, I didn't get a menace from him as it more of, like, you know, a rascal, but... uh,
0: Yeah, yeah, like a, a rascal who you can't rely on in any way. I always feel like true. Han Solo is somehow reliable, you know, he'll he'll at least try and stick to his word. This guy doesn't... I don't get any of that from him. I get... My ass is the only thing I care about. I said the word rascal, and I know that's how... I think that's how Phoebe
1: Waller-Bridge described her character in the latest Indiana Jones, and that's maybe a better... Because, yeah, Uh like yeah it's it's uh yeah she might fuck over uh Indiana Jones but also he's Indiana Jones he'll be alright you know <laughs> sure like, yeah
0: I'm watching out sh- myself everyone else must be doing the same thing right That'd be right yeah 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 yeah. yeah. But, but it's, I, it's I a really was... fun introduction I the <laughs> I don't know the uh Titans prick thing really got oh, me dude. I, it was
1: hilarious yeah it's like a form of execution it's like a Gallagher concert
0: <laughs> y- yeah yeah or it's titans... like something out of *Idiocracy*, right? Like, no, uh, that's, that's what it prick. is. Yeah.
1: With the and they're they're wearing this ridiculous outfit. I remember, like, uh, the first time I was watching this, um, I I was like, the execution by the Titans prick. Like, as I was like processing the words, that thing just drops uh-huh. down and obliterates that dude. And I'm like, holy shit. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It was it was <laughs> it was a lot of fun. The, again, the imagination that they come that they use to come up with some of this shit, uh, yeah,
0: it's good stuff. Uh, and, and I gotta say, I'm really liking uh, Salvor a lot more this season. Like, I, I don't know what it is about Leah Harvey's performance, but it feels a lot more natural this season. It feels like last season she was really either hemmed in by some direction she was getting or something this season yeah she's able to like just feel much more like a real person
1: well you know because i I, i've been trying not to say about this because i'm trying not to talk about stuff that i've seen no one else has but i remember early on the season i was a little dismayed that the of the stiff and kind of wooden quality in the relationship between the two but as each successive episode went by I thought it got a little bit more natural and they have a little bit Mm -hmm. more chemistry. And now I think it's like intentional because like Salver Harden is kind of like a homeschooled kid yeah. where she was off in this weird backwater thing with a very intense way of living and a very different way of thinking than everybody. And she was raised Mm -hmm. with like these really outstanding moral principles. And then she's thrust into a world that's in the middle of a crisis and, now she sees a different side of her hero and she's met her and, and like she's growing up real, real fast. Yeah. Um, and her performance they, 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 is
0: really opening up with that. And I, I am really liking it.
1: Yeah. That's one of the things we learned last year is like, you know, you, you, Salvar Harden has this reputation of the, in the books, but you know, they, she hasn't quite become that Salvar Harden yet. Yeah. And I still don't think that they uh have finished that arc, but like, I, it feels intentional now that she is rounding into a more, You know, less naive, less idealistic, but ultimately probably more effective person. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, no, I like it. And and it felt like um, in the first season, maybe she had a lot of expectations put on her as the warden. Right. Um, Oh, yeah. And she was trying to act that part. And now Mm -hmm. that she's out of that role, it does feel like she's becoming a more uh, more her own person. And I like that a lot. Uh, Hopefully she can crack the kind of hard shelled nut that is Gale because uh, Gale, I I hope Gale is not one note angry at Harry the entire season. It feels like that's starting to move. We're starting to move past that a little bit with, you know, Salvor kind of pushing her past that.
1: Well, And and she also realizes how much she's owned her kind of impetuousness is because, yeah, like Harry should have done a lot of things differently. But honestly, as she's looking back, she probably should have done a lot of things different.
0: Mm hmm. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So we'll we'll and, see and if
0: if that that no, is correct.
1: There's this potential trinity of uh, Gale, Salvor, and Harry that would probably be pretty entertaining, especially like this, oh, yeah. uh you know, slightly mad artificial construct that's now back encased in meat again. Right. What is he going to be like? And why? Like, I, there's so many mysteries about mm-hmm. like why did he go to this planet how what is the did he nature back into
0: a human? of
1: this kale individual uh how do you yeah generate gin g- gen up some kind of uh, uh, uh apparently human body for this guy to inhabit um mm-hmm. yeah i i can't wait to see what the answers
0: are yeah same here well maybe we should get into the recap then
1: yeah oh before we do i this episode was uh, directed by david s goyer uh believe the previous episode was written uh was co-written and directed by david as well uh we've talked to him since we started doing this podcast or since the first podcast came out and he mentioned that he would be uh happy to come back to the podcast and talk more foundation week of course would be thrilled to have him back uh he indicated that maybe uh, episode six would be a nice little mid-season point for us to catch up and then Maybe we can do another wrap-up, uh, answer your guys' questions and stuff. So uh, keep in mind, going forward, if you want to put uh, Goyer's name, like uh, G-O-Y-E-R, in the subject line, if you want me to give special attention to anything that you would like to ask him, I can't promise that I'll send everything in. But, yeah, if you got mm-hmm. a you got a question uh, that strikes our fancy, we'll, we'll pass it on. Uh, Foundation at baldmove.com if you want to send that in. But, yeah, we're, uh, you know again, looking forward to, to talking because those conversations were really entertaining. Uh, uh, he was a really fascinating guy to talk to, and mm-hmm. uh, he's got a lot of passion for this this uh, material. So, um, and I also I will say that with the strike, uh, things could change on a dime. Like I, the, you know, who knows? Sure, like yeah. I, uh, obviously he's not beholden to come on the podcast, and if it would it would fuck up any of the the strike kind of details and stuff, then uh, obviously we'd respect that. Totally understand. Because, mm-hmm. um, big big supporters of the the writers and actors. Uh, you absolutely here uh so yeah now i think with all that aside we're ready to get into the
0: episode all things have a cycle first the podcast then the ad Math is never just numbers. This isn't just a podcast. We're back with more Foundation. All right, we start off with Salvor uh, and Gale, and I guess Harry all arriving at uh, what they think is Ignis. And Gale uh, has a conversation with Salvor where she, you know, wants to believe they can change the future that they saw. Salvor doesn't think they can. And then Harry pilots them down to the surface of this desert planet with abandoned mines it's not ignis in fact uh it's it's oh what is the name of this planet uh una's world una's world right um an imperial mining site that has been exhausted and abandoned three thousand years ago uh gale and salvor want to know what the fuck uh the prime radiant wanted him to come here and visit some place in the mountains and he needs him to transport the the radiant up there and gail doesn't want to do it but Salvor convinces her too yeah i like uh i know i this one thing i talked
1: to uh, mr goyer last year is like I, do you are you familiar with the warhammer franchise at all because they keep on some of these details like the idea that they have completely exhausted a world mm-hmm. and then left the renegade mining equipment to just decimate the population is something the imperium of man would do and uh, it's like one of those like yeah it's chilling the idea that you could suck a world dry mm-hmm. and then the last act of the mining equipment is it grinds the people's blood and bones the paste or something is just so you know grimdark
0: uh, <laughs> is that, I like it is that a mercy killing because their planet is now a, a barren husk that won't support life is that I don't know. There's because I, to I fuck just you like what I is just that? read
1: an excerpt from a story set place in the Warhammer universe where they talk about this you know this industrial world where they've 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 taken all its oceans, uh, all of its mineral worth, uh, none of the animals uh, that used to be there extinct. It's it's irradiated and inh- inhospitable, and they, nothing can grow there. And like the Imperium is like pulling up stakes, and their like last announcement to the population is congratulations, you no longer have to tie this anything uh you know in fact we're 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 going to we're going to let you gracefully exit the imperium which is like the population is briefly excited by but then they realize that like the, all the starships are leaving and there's going to be several billion people on the planet with no water no food hardly mm-hmm. any air and it's just like you know like ooh what if you're one wanna... of but 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 yeah i yeah, i guess it would be like the mining equipment killing you fast would be better than <laughs> Almost, slowly yeah. starving or
0: asphyxiating to death yeah And this is not the first planet we've seen them do this to. We start out with the clerics uh, visiting another planet this has happened on, right? This is systematic. And so, you know, for a dynasty that's supposed to last into eternity, it feels very short-sighted. They're not even attempting any form of renewability with their mining operations. They're simply, well, I guess this is 3,000 years ago. So it wasn't the Kleonic dynasty. It was before that. But they're very much, you know, the Outer Reach might be picking off planets, but they're also decimating their own planets mm-hmm. and diminishing their empire that way, right? Like yeah. later, what what Bell is saying about, you know, p- an empire's lifeblood is also the planets. Well, it's using up its own lifeblood and discarding it. It's like you're eating yourself, you know? Yeah, it's very cannibalistic.
1: Um I also liked there's this subtle thing that going on with Gale and Salvor like Salvor's a, a annoyed by Gale trying to like oh no we'll find a way to avoid the faith and that that she calls it like you don't even believe that you know um mm-hmm. I thought that was really interesting cuz um I not a, 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 a video I saw there's a psychologist talking or a, 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 I think it's a relational therapist talking about there's a phenomenon That happens in couples where one of them gets like a diagnosis that uh, is like a fatal disease, like you're going to get cancer. And like you both of them in the beginning are like, well, we're just going to beat this and Mm -hmm. you're not going to die and we're going to get through this and everything. And like sometimes that goes great for the couple and you you go in and beat a uh, remission. But for the people that are not so lucky, at some point you both have to recognize that the other person is going to die or it actually is a gulf that a widening gulf will divide you because there's like a very basic fact of your existence that you're in denial about and it will it will uh paradoxically rob you of the intimacy of your last few months or years that you could spend you know but but you're in denial so you can't um and i wonder if Hmm. they're like you know playing around with that idea that you know, Salvor's ready to die. She's ready to meet her destiny, and Gale's not. Is she going to, like, how much time is she going to waste trying to save or trying to avoid the inevitable, like Harry says? Mm-hmm. Um, or it could be that they figure out a way to, to save Salvor and uh, all this as meaningless. But I, I couldn't help but think of that, that video I just watched and, like... If this is inevitable um then anything they're trying to do to prevent it is uh, a waste of time and also probably mm-hmm. going to divide salvor and gale um yeah because because gale paradoxically or i'm sorry Salvor's par- uh, is is she says she's never felt more alive because she knows beyond a shadow of a doubt that there's nothing she could do to die today you sure know? <laughs> yeah Like the good thing about knowing you're going to die for certain at some time in the future is, is is that, you know, it's not going to be today.
0: So imagine the risks you can take. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And then there's the hairy side of this, where he is talking about this uh, memory that Gail has. And he says, you know, he he thinks it's inevitable. He says, there are an infinite number of ways to arrive at the inevitable. And, but, but he also says some other things in this episode that I find interesting in that context where he is kind of diminishing his own role within his own plan. Um, later in the episode, he's talking about how even at the right scales, even I become insignificant. Uh, even though he's the architect of the whole plan. And I wonder how those things kind of mesh together.
1: Well, especially since in the books that felt very much right that yeah Mm -hmm. Harry eventually you know he starts this thing but like you know the the elegance of the plan in psychohistory was
0: that it unfolds without his direct involvement Um, clearly that's pulling strings in the current you know he he talks about how oh I'm pulling some very small strings here making very small changes in the current to affect the the future but now you got multiple
1: Harry's rolling around one is flesh and blood again Mm -hmm. Um, like does his role diminish
0: if he just never goes away it's a good question. I mean, it, potentially he could die now also, right? Well, one the, of them. This version of Harry,
1: yeah. Yeah, and is there going to be a war? Okay, we talked about this, like, is there going to be conflict between the two Harrys? Well, now the one's synthetic and one is flesh and blood. Mm-hmm. Is that going to be a rift, you know? It might make him less powerful. True. You know? sure. I mean, we've seen what the vault
0: can do, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, if I, if I could choose flesh and blood versus immortal computer matrix, I'd pick an immortal computer matrix every time. Same here. Just hoping I can find someone to carry my prime rating around so I can go places, but <laughs> Yeah.
0: <laughs> Take me on this uh roller coaster. <laughs> I want to feel it. Uh, so on Terminus, the director's council tries to figure out the meaning of the vault, killing the warden. And but there there's a big argument, you know, Polly and him are butting heads, but he manages to convince them to find Hobermallow.
1: I wonder what Salver would know. There's, there's a crystal bust of her, in the uh, you know the the high council meeting room or whatever of the foundation. Mm-hmm. You know she is like a minor prophet now.
0: Yeah, and I, I want to see how many more of those crystal busts we're going to get over the years. Is is Hobart Mallow going to get his own? If he becomes, say, I don't know. Is is the warden going to get his own? The the one that just <laughs> burned alive? I doubt it but Hober malamite might. Uh, yeah. There's also a small moment in here where the director is pouring drinks for everyone and he offers a drink to Polly. And I l- look at that and I'm like, hmm, they made a big deal about his drinking in the last episode. Is this a director kind of trying to sideline Polly to get him to indulge and and him not be able to be an effective voice against What the director wants to do yeah no that seems like
1: yeah you're you're leaning into something that they're struggling with that's making them less effective um that's probably dulling them not making them as sharp as they could or
0: should be Mm -hmm. that makes a lot of sense yeah uh it's a pretty shitty thing to do but this guy seems shitty yeah yeah, I
1: mean, there's a certain ruthlessness to the Foundation. You know, like this guy, you know, the mm-hmm. first episode when he's talking about War of the Empire, it's like he can barely, he's like, oh, I can't wait. We've been, we're ready for it. Like, it's it's hard to believe a director of the Foundation would ever be excited about open war, you know? Like, it, it might be inevitable, but why would you, like, lick your chops about it?
0: Yeah, it's going to be costly no matter what. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing is, I do wonder if, you know, the, the guy eventually agrees, like, okay, go out and find Hober Mallow. Uh, but I think there's an opportunity here for bad things to happen while Polly is gone because Polly is the only voice in this room looking to find Hober Mallow. I wonder if the director is going to try anything. With the while <laughs> I mean, it's gone
1: the, more people want to die screaming. Um, uh, they they, <laughs> right, they have like right. a, they have this like whole line of armed wardens cordoning off the vault. So it's like, I don't know if they're mm. going to try anything, but then again, if Polly and put Constant, a different
0: plan into motion, Cause he's not on board with the Hober Mallow gambit, which I, I don't know what the alternative is. Right. Like, and I, I totally, I totally
1: understand now having met Hober Mallow, why he would be skeptical to put a scoundrel, a rascal. Sure. Uh, yeah. Like why he would uh, want to insert that into the vault and just see what happens, you know? And there's also like, you could, mm-hmm. you know, the, like someone said it could be a warning.
0: Yeah. He says, get Hober Mallow. What what is, what is that warning? I, I didn't buy that argument. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That seemed thin. Anyway, uh, Polly tells Brother Constant what he knows about Hobermallow Mallow and then says, We're going to Corral to find him. And they take off. Uh, yeah,
1: he's, uh, he's a species of nut, uh, <laughs> trained by the priest of Foundation for missionary work, but he was just too much. Mm-hmm. Uh, instead he trailed the missionary fleets selling fake relics like he was arrested after se- selling 38 finger bones from harry selden uh-huh. which was uh-huh. that a joke that's actually more than you could actually have finger bones i don't Pretty know sure. that it is because yeah. you got like three on every finger right so did you have at least 30 oh yeah, that's right so you could yeah 38 so, so yeah too many. That, that'd be that'd be too many and the thumbs only have two so
0: yeah uh, Maybe he's counting tarsals and metatarsals. <laughs> sure. I don't know. Um, there could be 50 bones in each of my fingers. I wouldn't know.
1: And, you know, leads to the question of, like, well, why would the prophet choose him? And Polly kind of wryly observes that he, the prophet had a sense of humor, and maybe some of that. Um, But also... Yeah. There's some admirable qualities like saying that someone views a prohibition as a personal challenge. Yeah, if someone tries to restrict someone or someone says something's forbidden or you shouldn't Mm -hmm. do that, someone questioning like that's a I think you could be an asshole by questioning too much. And after you've given a good reason doing it anyway, you could be selfish and self-destructive, but not necessarily. That's another way of saying someone's curious and inquisitive and uh, is, yeah. is is not stopped easily by social pressures or things like that. You could see that would be very valuable for dealing with, you know, these guys like the Commodore. Uh, mm-hmm. And the foundation also, I'll put it out there, not above tricking and flim-flamming populations already. So maybe yeah. you need... Harry
0: himself maybe, is a little bit like that. Maybe a con man at the top is the the, the right man for the job yeah my notes say if it's forbidden hover traffic's in it sounds like a fun guy yeah I-, I could see it and he definitely is a fun guy we'll see you later I really like the space folding effect that they have on this little, the spirit
1: that their little ship, uh, it looks like it rips like a thin line in the fabric of space time and kind of slips into it. It's a lot less kinetic mm-hmm. than the Imperial tech we saw from last year. It's it, it feels a little bit more efficient and elegant. And I don't know whether they're going for that or if that's just like a slightly
0: different take on the jump drive effect, but I thought it was cool. Yeah. And then when they jump, uh, when they, when they get to their destination, I noticed this last episode, it kind of has a line that comes off at the, forms into a wisp of like mm-hmm. some gas or something yeah and there's then like it the, just dissipates the, the, the lines there's like some kind of thing that's like drawing the
1: line out or something
0: yeah it's
1: cool looking it is very cool just this ship taking off into the the night sky i thought was lovely
0: all right we're back on una's world una's world that feels wrong to me because of star trek right now but yeah it's unichin riley <laughs> yeah. uh,
1: there's a there's a long lost the 15,000 year connection between this and star trek strange new world
0: uh-huh. uh uh gale walks harry out to the mountains as he tells her about this planet he also tells her that she likely can't change the future and they argue about it for a while and they arrive at a cave entrance and head up a massive statue toward what harry describes as an old friend you know what's fucking sick about
1: this scene that I only realized on the second time watching it Harry Seldon doesn't leave footprints in the sand oh nice I didn't him and Gail that. are watching right next to each other and it's like Legolas and Lord of the Rings where it's just like he's not sinking and I don't cause like some of it look practical they actually zoom in on his feet as they approach the tunnel Mm-hmm. and it looks like Jerry Harry is walking on solid ground but it's still like it it's nifty it's it's airtight and it's one of those little things it's just yep. of course he wouldn't leave footprints
0: yeah but it's all
1: digital it's it's subtle but it's it's really really uncanny when you actually look at it and like f- rewind like wow how did they uh it's it's a nice effect
0: uh I guess he doesn't walk anywhere once he's human in this right so you couldn't say oh did they remember to put the footprints in once Uh, he becomes human again he doesn't actually walk on
1: sand with his flesh and blood yeah uh, he's
0: lifted into the air
1: this is where Gale gets a little bit of the chip knocked off of her shoulder you know Mm -hmm where he you know she's trying to say like well what's the difference between what you're wanting to do what i want to do and he's got an answer for that and then she's like well you're the one that didn't even leave a psychohistrian behind and he's like i meant to, you know yeah. you were supposed to be like who knows in an alternate universe you could have guided Sal for her. and uh, you know who who knows what she would would be at this point and he kind of like lands a couple points that that uh that hit home for
0: her yeah but it's all really raish's fault i mean that's
1: the thing is is everything he's saying
0: about gale really should be aimed at rache but he's dead
1: so you and also ultimately like how does harry dodge these criticisms too because ultimately this is his plan and you know he's he knows more than anybody you can't you rely on single individuals to do things so like why were all these single points of failures there harry or are there (laughs) who knows
0: yeah we don't know um but an infinite number of ways to arrive at the inevitable I like the line that he has that the emperors are hollow men who
1: rule over hollow worlds. That was, uh, you know, like how many of the yeah. imperial planets are these dead worlds too? Like, right. I bet Do they, they don't still keep, count these as I, well? I imagine the they Meyer? count them, but I bet this isn't what is on the galactic news. You know, how many yeah. of these, these, uh, sucked out worlds that they've got. Um, they used to be mm-hmm. like, you know, have these cities and these statues and yeah, you know, thriving industrial time. There's, uh, yeah, monuments
0: to industry, I think, is what he calls these statues. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which at this point is kind of a cruel joke, right? <laughs> the monument to the industry that completely ruined their planet, killed now, everyone tom- on it.
1: Elaborate tombstones to the, uh, the populace. Yeah. Oh, the other cool thing is, like, uh, Harry's also not sweating. Like, you'll see that Gale is, like, her suit is dripped in sweat, and sweat, sweating, and like, Harry's clothes are perfectly dry never mm-hmm. has any sweat on him he's not leaving footprints i just i just yeah obviously he's a hologram but it's i i i
0: like that as attention to detail yeah for sure all right we go over to lepsis penal colony where one of the workers stops working so he's killed by a guard uh a guy goes over to try and help him out uh and then dimmerzel lands and turns out this guy is bel rios she gives him an offer to lead the fleet if he completes it he can go free and he tries to negotiate a little bit of a better deal for him and his fellow prisoners and he does um and then the thing that really seals the deal is that Demerzel offers to reconnect him with his husband who he thought was executed six years ago uh that the guy's name is Gleywin Kerr I think (laughs) I have no subtitles but it sounds like Gleywin yeah he calls him Clay uh, at one point in the episode Oh clay, okay.
1: I think that I don't understand why Bell like i like a lot of what Bell Rios does in this episode. I think tracks, but ultimately I don't understand why he thinks the Empire will keep any deal that he makes with them. Like um yeah. I'm I, to the extent like I'm surprised that Dimrozelle pushes back against to freeing everybody because I don't think like you know what are, they're going to let these guys have slightly longer breaks. Like what? No, I don't. I don't mm-hmm. believe that for a second. I believe that if Bell Rios completes whatever mission the Empire has him set out to do, that he will be beheaded on his arrival, and as thanks. Like, but I guess if you b- believe to your bones and what Bell Rios is saying here, that like uh, that all might come to pass. But I can
0: still save some people. I can still protect some people. Maybe that makes sense. Mm-hmm. It's hey, just I think Dimmesdale uh, pushing back is kind of smart, right? Because if she doesn't, if she offers him. Everything he wants without a moment's hesitation, I think he worries a little bit more about you know the outcome of this plan hm but I, I just don't think he's a stupid
1: stupid enough to think that the empire's going to keep his world. I mean no yeah, he seems very smart, yeah, he's like his leadership- leadership is capricious and unwise, therefore he can be trusted that's not where that <laughs> uh-huh. and he's also ballsy like you know he's uh, they've already taken everything from him in his mind, and Dimersell calls back and Says it's time to lead your troops again, and he's leading off with his anti-day rhetoric. Um, uh-huh.
0: Yeah, he's got nothing to lose, I guess. I mean, I guess at, that's that word, he's taken out of the labor point. camp, and yeah, right, gets to yeah, spend I mean, his last days on his ship
1: with his old crew, right? Yeah, but they're definitely showing this as a this is a good man, this is a capable man, yeah. this is a man that cares about people. You know, even this he's old loyal. man who's almost used up, he's trying to save. Mm-hmm. um but also yeah loyal to the empire in the sense of its people not necessarily capital e
0: empire yeah and true to his word he's honest um yeah he seems to have uh many very good qualities let's say lawful good is this what yep. this guy's whole thing is uh but not 100 percent lawful good because he will disobey an order from time to time <laughs> if he thinks it's in the best interest of uh, the Empire. Guy's mm-hmm. little uh, uh,
1: laws of humanity <laughs> that he's following. Oh, yeah, his three his three rules of... Got to be loyal to the Empire, Human, but you can't allow through inaction or action uh, Imperial citizens to come to harm.
0: Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> Alright, Gale and Harry continue to a door with seemingly no way in. Um, They do figure out how to open it though and find Kale on the other side. Harry tells Gale to go back to the ship and leave if she doesn't hear from him in six hours. And he enters the chamber and the door closes, locking her out. (laughs) Open a wall, it becomes a door. That's a hilarious line to me. I don't know why the, the term open a wall. (laughs) honestly it becomes a hole whether it's a door or not i think is debatable but yeah um what's your feeling about this Kale? my feeling is this a real person well i mean inside the prime radiant i thought it was the representation of the consciousness of the prime radiant I, i don't i wonder what's happened here is this something where the prime radiant being in close proximity to this facility whatever it is already transfers out the consciousness of the prime radiant into this facility and that's why we're seeing kale or is this something where kale is maybe flesh and blood out here waiting to meet Harry at a designated time or is another copy of kale or the real copy of kale i there's so many possibilities here it's Im- impossible to really know yet yeah, and, and Harry drops the name
1: of uh, his Alana, his his life partner that also understands the Prime Meridian. I wonder if uh-huh. there, if if the uh, one uh, one fun storyline to explore would be like, what if there are multiple fathers and mothers of the Prime Meridian that were in on it with Harry and have mm-hmm. committed their consciousness to some kind of digital form?
0: Could could be, yeah.
1: And that they're, like, gonna... But, like, I don't know to what end, because I don't know what that adds or does to the story, but, like, I... Because I understood... I thought Callie existed a long time ago. I thought it was I what the, so I too. remembered from the first season that she was long dead, only her writings are left behind. So it's probably um, not a physical human Callie. But to answer your question directly, I don't think the Prime... Radiant went there and then Kali sprang forth from it and opened the door. I think the primary, Ra- no. uh, meridian, the prime radiant was drawn to this location and met a presence that opened the door. That was Kali. That's how I took it.
0: Okay. Is this Kali just another representation of an artificial intelligence? Is that just how they manifest? These are two My- different artificial intelligences representing in the same way my feeling is yes yeah because she says what if she says I have the means to sustain a digital a
1: digital form uh, I, I have the means to mm-hmm. keep a pure digital form in existence like but why would you unless you yourself yeah. you know why in this abandoned planet why would you have a system to maintain holographic beings unless yeah I think so and also well doesn't uh, only something? got one life sign at the end even though we know Callie was right. standing right there so like I think so that's not pretty human yeah pretty good evidence that she's not, not not a biological life form
0: i don't know i've seen enough star trek to know that you can't scan through most caves true so that <laughs> statue was made out of
1: anti corbonite mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. famously reflects bioscans.
0: scans yeah yeah uh no i'm kidding with that but you're probably right that's not a real person um it, there's I lost I lost what I was going to say about Harry because he said something interesting in one of these scenes about her, but maybe I'll remember it later. Anyway, let's go over to Carell where Herber Mallow manages to steal a precious jewel from uh, a dignitary whose name I think is Condor Argus. Mm-hmm. Um, but he doesn't get out of the area in time and he gets arrested. This is a really cool scene, a great introduction to this character. I... I'm really surprised that the tech that they're showing off here actually works. This bracelet, well, <laughs> what seems to be a bracelet that can swap places of two people wearing a castling device. Each one. A cl- I like I love the name too. Yeah. Yeah. Where, you know, if I guess if you're not familiar in chess, if you have a direct line of sight between your rook and your king, you can and they haven't, moved. Not exactly, they haven't but, moved yet. And they haven't moved yet. You can, not exactly, but more or less swap places with them.
1: Yeah. I wonder if, because the first thing I thought of is this is an elaborate trick. Like, yeah. when you look uh-huh. at it, it almost looks like a hologram is covering the door when he turns into it. But, like, the more I, then when I watch this more times, it's like, no, I actually think they switch places. Mm-hmm. So, at least some kind of short point to point teleportation is uh that, but that doesn't surprise me why would that why would that surprise me
0: no technologically I guess it doesn't but uh we haven't seen it yeah, before it was, yet though it was something new definitely uh it's really cool and I wonder how it could be used in the future cleverly it could be a way for a darkness to escape
1: uh being obliterated
0: A darkness to escape being, yeah, you know, Brother
1: Darkness when he's he's about to be disintegrated by the particle beam. If he had one of those bracelets, he could, yes. Well, yeah, that's what he becomes, Brother Darkness, as soon as he starts to walk towards the portal at that little handoff ceremony when there's briefly four of them. Gotcha. But like, I think that that might be a cool application. Like, if this Uh day, who seems like he thinks he is an individual more than the others, like I could see him trying to duck it, and I don't know if Dimmerzelle would be. Like like you could like uh, he could castle like one of the decanted clones in there at the last uh-huh. minute.
0: Yeah, or one of the uh maybe decant the clone and castle in one of the less desirable brothers. Yeah, yeah. You know?
1: The former brother Don. I think that's the that's the one that jumps to my mind. Um mm-hmm. because yeah, otherwise it, it, but it might it also like I'm gonna be looking uh I'm gonna be looking at Hober going mm-hmm. forward. For for some castling
0: possibilities here, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, it's just a it's a fun scene, and Hober Mallow seems like uh, a slippery guy you want to keep an eye on. I thought it was funny in that the in,
1: we go into the David S. Goyer of this show is I noticed that the in the long list of atrocities you could you use for this technology for they mentioned sewing bombs into prisoners. Uh, Goyer is one of the credited writers on the Dark Knight which features the Joker sewing a bomb Uh, into a prisoner and I'm wondering if that's like a little like wink you know (laughs) Uh (laughs) in which case I saw it I I got the wink
0: Mm
1: -hmm. uh oh our dynastic empire is experiencing some genetic drift we'll be right back The algorithm says the podcast will continue.
0: Welcome back to Foundation. All right, Diverzel gives Bell a chamber in which to clean himself up, but he wants to be a disgusting mess when he appears before Day, and he does that. Uh, Day gives him his mission to find out if the Foundation is a threat to Empire, and he asks to speak frankly and privately with Day. And When he does, it's a lot of insults, um, he's he refuses to go as far as striking Day, even though he's goaded on by Day. And not even when he threatens his husband, because he took an oath to protect Empire. And so Day leaves and Bell is reunited with his husband. Uh every show does this. So I'm not picking on the people writing this show, but it's always it's a pet peeve of mine. Uh oh. Where the person in charge of the guards gives a direct order kill this man take this man out of this room back to prison and kill his husband oh yeah and bell makes one move and says one word and the guards stop right yeah. they they ignore the order that their emperor just gave them uh, as if to as if the bad guy saying something is more important or the the nemesis saying something
1: Probably a little bit of discretion in a royal guard, where you know if you because because uh what if you the guy goes wait wait and you kill him and then the emperor's like I would like to have heard what he said it's like sure, a brief but, hesitation but you gave me a direct order I'm following yeah, your, no. yeah You're right. right
0: it's a huge trope and it happens everywhere <laughs> I see it all the time it's just one of my bugaboos Um
1: it's. Kind of crazy how singular day is running this thing. Like this is he keeps dismissing his brothers from her private conversations and whatnot. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and then like you, we talked last episode, how um, I think we did anyway. The Bell Rios is this this general, and uh, you know the one of the inspirations for Foundation is the fallen and rise and decline of the the Roman Empire, and you know that was one of the um, empire's problems, right? That uh, Mm-hmm. You know, in, in any any general that uh, was good at his job was a potential existential threat to the state. So you had this tension between you need effective conquerors to maintain your empire, but also if they get too effective, they could just throw over the whole apple cart. Um,
0: and there's something to that effect. Either in this scene or later in this in this episode, where they say, "Oh, and you'll be given your your old post or whatever, and you'll be given your old fleet," and he's like. Yeah, I will. Uh, or your old fleet is still loyal to you and you're like yeah they are or something like that well
1: he said uh, he's like you know because he's talking about how the empire demands respect it requires like oxygen to breathe he goes well you also need planetary systems which means you need my fleet and he's like it's not your fleet he's like the fuck if it isn't
0: Uh, and he's right
1: because like the second this Uh fucker gets back on the bridge everybody is giving him the you know the claps on the back and it's Mm -hmm. like they it, it feels very much like Maximus from Gladiator right absolutely
0: yeah either as loyal to
1: him as they are to the empire even years later they think he's dead that Mm -hmm. like if 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 maximus returns and his legions are ready to fight for him and you get the idea that the these are the, the same way uh, and I a... like the the, the the horn of dilemma he gives him. It's like, yes. he, he goes to strike me. It's like, and which which are you supposed to do? Are you supposed to strike me so I know I have effective control over you? Or are you supposed to not to show that you'll protect Empire at all costs? What's the right answer? Mm-hmm. And he gives the correct one, which is, I guess, the correct one, which is I took an oath not to hit Empire. And that's yeah. all there is to it. Um, Loyal to my oath and, at all costs. And I like how Lee played this where like there's this like slight smile that spreads over his face but then i don't man i don't know it just feels like a very scorpion and the frog situation on both sides uh and even you'll see like you know De- absolutely day being very petulant in the next scene with the De- dimmerzell about this too so like even though it feels like a triumph here it doesn't feel like a triumph to him even moments later
0: well i i i like the the way that this choice he gives him resolves itself because it feels honestly like the only call you could make um emperor has one card to play if it doesn't go the if he makes the other choice right he can play that card one time he can say all right well i'm killing your husband boom he's dead that card is played and now you have no leverage over the guy. Whereas if he is loyal specifically to his oath to empire, you play that card as many times as you want. Mm-hmm. And so of yeah. course that's the only choice to make here. Right. Yeah. Uh, and I really like his, his line when he's kind of reasoning through this uh, an emperor is trying to goad him into making the wrong choice. He says, I'll not strike my empire, impo- my emperor, not even for your husband's life. And he said, my husband's been dead six years. Yeah, (laughs) you know, kind of using his own actions, his own cruelty against him in that. Right. I love it. And also, like, I don't even know that he's not dead. You know, just you're saying he's behind this door, which makes the next scene very powerful of their reunion. Yes. Yeah, it is. This tearful reunion is very powerful, especially, you know, the the way he's so standoffish. And you see it from the very beginning of the scene. He doesn't run up and try and hug him and, and kiss him and like he's very standoffish because it's been six years he doesn't know what what they've told him uh his, his husband about him while he's been gone uh he looks like he looks he smells like he smells he doesn't want this to be the the reunion interaction that they have any more than it needs to be right and yeah he's and gonna you know go clean they- up in a scene later
1: I thought this was because I could see, like, uh, couples in this situation in modern times, like, where you're you're approaching trembling, and, like, then when you actually make physical touch, like, the fact that it's real, and this is really happening, like, overcomes you with emotion, but in Mm -hmm. this era where, as far as he knows, this could be a hologram, this could be someone dressed like, that physical touch, I've seen that this is something real, a warm living, like, it's like a double confirmation, Mm -hmm. um... And yeah, the, like, clearly the physical touch is such a big thing to him, and his husband wants to hug him, but he also is so proud uh, that he's like, I'm not ready for this because I, yeah. I'm i still a prisoner uh, with bad teeth and uh-huh. lice. I want to meet you as your actual husband. And there's this really tender scene of them... You know, him showering and his husband cutting his hair and giving him a sheet, sheet uh, uh a beard and uh in the course of this revealing his i guess imperial brand that mm-hmm. uh i wonder how like is every person in the imperial navy get this uh branded on their back of the neck or is this just for like generals or something or is this like a I, voluntary I thing a... he
0: did like a tattoo no i assume this is a prison camp a labor camp thing oh I, really this is a punishment i don't think this is part of oh the i took this
1: as like you know the spqr type things that all the roman legionnaires got you know as tattoos eh, maybe. Or something is like a solidarity thing but
0: yeah in the back um because what he says later about you know the, those decisions kind of leaving a scar on you and then mm. you know he touches the back of his neck where that that brand is it could and be I, I think that's what they're getting at uh, and and uh, you don't notice it when before he cleans up, but there's a pretty big age disparity between these guys. Uh, I would say Bell is maybe twenty years older or so than Glaywin. I think that's. Oh, huh, I didn't. I didn't catch that. I guess. Pretty sure. I don't. I don't know if they're like trying to do anything with that, but we'll see. I guess as this relationship becomes clearer, comes more into focus. Okay. Uh and and during that scene where they're cleaning up you've also got Dimizel and Day like spying on them. And Day is just really
1: in in the grips of this existential doubt where he has got <laughs> yeah. the result that he sought out and wanted after Dimizel convinced him but he's like is this good policy is it the echo of good policy is it the genetic sense memory of good policy like if any of my thoughts and actions my own Mm -hmm. um and i think it's also interesting when demrazel tries to soothe and you know say you're fine you're doing well your empire and he's like keep going the look on her face is oh jesus this is a mess yeah it's not a look of um you know the the in last season the cleons even as they were declining like it seems like she had a lot of affection for them like they were her children or you know at the very least pets or something this is not it doesn't look like she's got that same feeling about this particular cleon
0: yeah it seems like she's losing faith in him yeah yeah um which you know could be pretty bad for this cleon uh we saw what happened last season with brother dawn who got out of line Mm -hmm. there might be some consequences for brother day here but we'll see snappy snappy Mm -hmm. but you never know because i also it
1: could be that she's this i could also interpret this as guilt you know because like we had that one email it's like well how do we know that demmerzel's loyal Mm -hmm. to the empire like what if she's behind this degradation and she's like oh you guys you just didn't have a chance because i've i've cut the legs genetic legs out from underneath the young man and Mm -hmm. she's like you know like resolute but also regretful that she's having to do this the people she cares about that's another way you could interpret it but uh
0: yeah all all the imperial stuff remains fascinating we go back to gail making it back to her ship and she tells salvor about what happened They talk about Harry and how Gale doesn't really want to abandon him. And Salvor asks, what would Harry do? And Gale says he'd fucking leave. So I guess they're determined to leave him if he doesn't respond in six hours. I thought it was interesting
1: that Gale's father, not Gale, Salvor's father said, you can never let your sense of morals prevent you from doing what's right. Mm-hmm. That scene is a Sphinxian riddle. What? like, It's, it's basically saying go with your gut, right? But is what that boils w- down we're to? We're talking about doing what's right. What informs your sense of right
0: other than your morals? Your gut. She's getting so caught up in the the, the puzzling out the morality of each choice that she's not going with what she feels, I think is mm-hmm. what that means. And in her gut, she says, we, we should fucking leave him. Right. Yeah. I can see,
1: like, if you say, don't let your sense of duty, don't let your sense of uh, justice, don't let your sense. But mm-hmm. even then, that's mm-hmm. like, those are like words where it's like, I don't see how pursuing, you know, I could. Hmm. Because it all goes back to, like, yeah, like, what you got morals and ethics and like ethics are like applied morality. So it's like, I I just thought this was an interesting way to construct it. But yeah, if you're saying that like, you know, don't let, uh, don't get like in, uh, I guess, cheaty from the good place would be a good example of someone's morals, preventing him from doing the right thing just because he's Uh paralyzed by analysis. Um, Mm -hmm. and through inaction doing a lot of bad things. So maybe, maybe that's what it is. Cause yeah, that's, he's the poster child for morality, interfering with
0: doing the right thing. Absolutely. <laughs> uh all right, let's move over to Polly and Constant arriving on Corell where they find Hober Mallow up for execution by Titan's prick. Uh by the Titans Prick. <laughs> Polly tries to use his status as cleric to postpone his death, but it's no use. Um instead, Hober's got his own plan. He manages to swap places with Argus on the execution block. Uh and make it out to Polly's ship. And he takes off just as Polly and constant jump aboard, kick him out of the pilot seat and drug him into submission as they head back to terminus.
1: I will say that I saw this coming a mile away because, you know, I, I saw him pull that thing off the hand, the the cuff before they, they take him into custody. Uh-huh. I'm like, Oh, this is, and then when they put a mask on his face, I'm like, Oh, there's the Commodore, the Commodore. It's going to end uh-huh. up in that. there giants prick seat and uh he sure does and i actually thought that he was gonna die
0: me too oh wow what that's gonna be fucking wild but but uh, then you'd be chased to the ends of the empire right like that's probably that's a bridge too far escaping is one thing murdering the Yeah. yeah you can't get away with that yeah
1: um and like some of these things, like again, I, I have hazy memories of the books, but I'm pretty sure this car- coral, like there is, there's more plot to deal with this particular planet. I, I know Bell so. Rios was a pretty, I think, is a was an, a, a, an important character in the end of the first or maybe the early goings of the second book. So, yeah, they're they're definitely mm-hmm. continuing to playing jazz with the material because they're interweaving these, you know, Hober Mallow, again as a as a, a name character. Um, mm-hmm yeah yeah I'm, I'm very curious to see how because you know what the the patterns from previous uh sees the season is that that these people are going to be changed and expanded greatly you know mm-hmm. from being like a, a couple paragraphs to you know potentially seasons long so uh yeah, yeah I'm, I'm uh i think this planet looks funny i like the enforcers mm-hmm. uh i like
0: this the style <laughs> i love yeah hober hober man he's when he's giving his big speech about his last words right and he's like oh it's a shame that we never got the opportunity to sit down and, and as friends and talk and maybe mm-hmm. charm enemies into new friends and he looks over at the guard mm-hmm. who's like running the execution operation and she's right. like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. no <laughs> but you know there's a certain charm to him maybe that would be possible I thought that these, uh, the all the military, all the
1: um, the government officials look like they are the naval troops from the Fifth Element. Okay, you know what I'm talking about like it uh, has like yeah, that kind of yeah, yeah. You know, I, the I liked the it. the president
0: most of that movie, right? I
1: thought the Commodore looks very much like yeah, the presidential advisor that the uh, mm-hmm. kind of pervs on Lilo at the beginning. Um, I, think which I think it's Star Wars. There's a,
0: there's a very, like, big Star Wars vibe in these uniforms uh, with oh, the imperial yeah. officers. I think. Uh huh. Uh
1: huh. Very, very. You know, uh, militaristic, authoritarian. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Exactly the kind of thing that Hober might want to get one over on
1: yeah and you can see like brother Constance is a little attracted to him like she likes his confidence and he's like oh he's confident and Polly's like he's appalling <laughs> and then as they realize like oh my god he knows we have a jump ship he's going to try to steal it and they like barely make it on board mm-hmm. um, and I again I really like the ship I'm really a sucker for variable geometry ships that like you know I don't know maybe because I grew up in an era where all the coolest airplanes had the swing you know swept wing swing wing F-14 kind of things going for him but I, I mm-hmm. do I do love a ship that uh, does a little bit of transforming
0: when it gets ready yeah. to fly Alright, Glewin suggests to Bell that they run from the Empire he refuses because he has to protect everyone from Empire's poor decisions Glewin gives him a necklace with a pendant and calls him General and they fly out to a ring of Trantor where he's u- reunited with his old crew and they jump toward the Outer Reach What do you think is
1: going on with this uh, necklace? It's a badge of office. Does it actually do anything else?
0: I assumed it's just representative of his station, but I I don't know. I don't know. So this is just, that's just that. It's just kind of like a welcome back
1: general. It's not. I think. Anytime I see a gadget being handed to somebody with an inset shot, I think, oh, this is something to remember for the future. It very well
0: could be. But uh, also, I don't know if it could, has like has powers, said. I don't know if it has an inscription that'll be important in an Indiana no. Jones kind of way later. <laughs> Who knows? He's gonna have to put it on a
1: two-meter staff. Uh huh. Go it's to Cle- Cleon's through. bathtub and put it into the drain <laughs> on the solstice yeah. of Trans. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see. Um, we'll see. But yeah, he's like this, like where you know his husband's trying to make like, hey, you know, now we got our fleet back. Why don't we just fuck off? Mm-hmm. Um and because you know you've got the loyalty the, the, the people do it and he's like look I'm not a revolutionary and as much as I'm a revolutionary I'm even less of a deserter because the mm-hmm. fact is there's all these trillions of people that the emperor thinks is disposable and I'm the one man that isn't and because of that my duty is to protect all those other trillions now yeah. this seems wretchedly naive but I want well, it to then, not he- be
0: that he could do anything that, to protect that these he's people he's going
1: to be able to do something to protect the people and outsmart cleon and and be mm-hmm. able to uh rein in the worst of cleon's impulses while he protects while he be, is faithful to the emperor it seems like that's just uh you know w- wish wishing that's just whistling past a graveyard um, yeah
0: wishful thinking for sure but, but uh, uh, what are the what's the alternative here right He's yeah. fiercely loyal to his oath and to the the people that he wants to protect. He's got to at least try.
1: Yeah, they, could, they did, did some interesting world building here, which I think the show does so well. Like the salute, the the Imperial naval salute is essentially an inverted Klingon salute with like tapping uh, the insignia of the Empire in their heart. I thought that was cool. I like nice. the spacer teasing the the general about being space sick. Mm-hmm. um and that they have like you can see that this is like a crew on the verge of mutiny because even the spacers like recognizing uh the way they all suffer under the emperor's heel you know yeah. that they're all controlled none of them are trusted none of them are valued or treasured um and then yeah they jump off with a big ass fleet
0: what is it, 20 ships in this that's a lot of them yeah more uh, i i was wondering i don't know if you saw this very closely or looked at it but are the jump ships slightly modified now do they look a little more they looked a little more star warsy to me a little more imperial star destroyer uh, it looked like they were the same covered kind of things but
1: maybe not it looked like they're the same basic plan that the kind of knife Uh shape with the offset core and one end of it that was um but I noticed, like, I don't think the and it as a difference in civilian and military because, like, I think they've slightly changed the jump effects, um, uh, okay. Or maybe those are just the civilian liners that do the really fancy uh, jump that we saw last year in the first episode. But they might be a little sleeker, maybe a little bit more metallic looking. Um, I it felt like, like there was slight aesthetic else going on.
0: differences, or maybe more lighting coming off of them. I'm not sure because they've had several versions of that jump ship. I mean the well and it's
1: 160 the, some years later so even if we talk about this yeah we talk about the technological stasis but that doesn't mean that like the you know that the designers wouldn't like update the to keep it up at the current aesthetics of the time or totally
0: but even even in the old timeline a hundred something mm-hmm. years ago we had multiple versions you had the emperor's kind of personal jump ship, the Rubicon, which looked slightly different from, you know, the civilian ones, slightly different different from from the the military ones. Yeah. Which looked different from the Invictus. So yeah, no, they, they really like spare no expense when it comes to the design of these ships. They, Mm -hmm. they take great care. Like you said, they sweat the details in the show. Yeah. And it all
1: says something about, you know, like uh, you, you can get an idea of like the society from the design of the things that they use. Mm-hmm. And the clothes they wear, and uh,
0: I like that. It feels a bit like the, what they did with the Expanse, uh, with the Rocinante, over the course of that show, How so? where they just kept, you know, they'd go on a mission where they needed to add gas tanks oh, to it or something, yeah. and then those or would just kind of hang the around gun for a
1: season or two. Now we got the landing
0: legs, and it just kept now we on got the getting armor. The, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It, it feels like that, where we're evolving as the time moves on, right? Because of course things I mean things in our world don't stay the same aesthetically, even if sure. they're the same functionally, right? Like look at a toaster in nineteen fifty, look at a toaster in twenty twenty. It's crazy different. Yeah. Aesthetically, but still performs the exact same function. So Yeah, because like toaster technology is not in like <laughs> no, it's in stasis <laughs> baby. Have you looked yeah. at the
1: inside of one, it's just a fucking coil, <laughs> metal coil that's got it's so a much piece resistance. Of metal. It gets hot.
0: Yep. Yeah. It toast bread. What do you want? right it ain't broke uh gail and Salvor decide to leave harry but when they try and take off they crash through the ground where they find an active uh, autonomous mining droid and Mm. they manage to evade him uh both of those long enough to fly back out to the surface before they're refined um and then they detect a life form at one of the statues gail says somehow this is Harry and they head over for his location when they arrive they find him flesh and blood Harry they grab him and leave just before the autonomous mining drones reach them
1: yeah I uh I like this like little joke that pays off where the uh is it the scat what are they calling this thing the crow the the raven the scow uh
0: what? the ship that they're in yeah I don't I don't remember the Raven was the one that Gale arrived in, which, or was on, which burned up in a sun. I think. So, here so, like,
1: it, so it Hugo. This is Hugo ship the Scow. I, I like the little joke they play where the ship's giving warning messages about the unstable landing thing, and they're like, "Shut up, ship! What else?" And then like here, like they literally fall through this hollow crust, and as it does, uh-huh. the ship gives them the exact same warning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I told you. I, thought, I told you. Yeah. 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 I thought that was uh, really funny. Um, and then here's yep. the like you know Harry gives the enigmatic uh, and inha- uninhabited does not mean alone, uh, and now yep because these things are starting to wake up and they're going ape shit. Um,
0: yeah, why why do you think they're waking up right now? Is it just programmed to detect things life life around them and attack it? It must detect bio biofields.
1: You know mm-hmm. whatever Ho- Hober Mallow was talking about having to put gems in his mouth because it's, it's his biofield surrounds it. Because other I don't mm-hmm. know. Unless it's Kale doing it, like, you know, giving them some kind of artificial crisis. Like, I don't know what else would cause <laughs> them to hightail it to the. Uh... Although there's also this funny line I thought where Gale and Salvor is like once they get into, you know, I don't know, a thousand foot off the ground or whatever. They're like, did we did we shake them? I'm like, can these things take off? Like, I think once oh, you God. get, you know, probably yeah. 300 feet in the air, you're you're safe. You're safe. But maybe not. Yeah uh but then not, the, they these got things, lasers i don't know it's true they do have lasers they can swim through rock like a sand worm and dune um i think it's apparent that short. they're attracted
0: to those those bio signs right like yeah i mean if their final program was to go kill all life forms on the planet then two new pop up well they're gonna wake up and try and kill them yeah this thing has two prime directives number one suck palladium Mm-hmm. It's
1: like it's like I came here to suck palladium and kill all the <laughs> life, and, and I'm, I'm all, all out- I'm all out of palladium. <laughs> <laughs> I choked on my own joke. Uh, yeah, yeah, because they they yeah, are amazing. They are all about the uh, crush all
0: crush all humans mm-hmm. routine, and that's it, man. We're left to kind of twist in the wind on what we think is going on with Harry and Kali and how the hell I like and Kali's go- got this whole,
1: like, you know, smug, my job here is done as the eyelid closes and you know, she, she swishes off and, but mm-hmm. like, yeah, wh- who, who are you? What is your job? Here, uh, here's what
0: I'll say. I, Harry's ship was made from his body, right? Like, Hey, ha- ha- no, the, the vault. vault was. The vault itself was made from his body, literally. So, yeah, it dissected. It took him apart piece by piece and created the vault out of him, and his coffin. Mm-hmm. It's not hard to imagine that you could do the reverse.
1: But she didn't have anything. It's not like if if she had taken a prime radiant with her.
0: Yeah, she's got his consciousness. So. Uh, yeah, I mean, she doesn't have his body as, like, a blueprint. Wait, that did must be Gale somewhere. give, shit, I, goddamn
1: did, did Gail give her the Prime Radiant? Uh, well, pl- plus we know that. the Prime she,
0: Radiant isn't literally Harry, because he built it before he died. No, Gail took the Prime Radiant back to the ship with her. Okay, okay. Because, like, Cause, right, I, don't know, like I don't know, I don't know what. He says it's going to transfer me out into this chamber. She has the means to support i don't know what uh, part of harry she would have used to reconstruct them if that's
1: where you're going with that yeah just
0: his mind i mean the the body i guess would have to just be wholesale recreated oh just like his mental algorithm is enough to reconstruct a body oh no no I'm, I'm what i'm i guess i'm postulating here is look if you can atomically oh. deconstruct a body you could probably atomically construct a body construct it i gotcha i got gotcha. No, no, yeah, necessarily from any sense. part of harry yeah but i don't know we'll hopefully find out more about that i'm gonna have a lot of questions i do so i hope that gail and salvor both have questions but he doesn't seem to know he's very confused well, the, when he wakes up right he's like yeah she asked him yeah. how this is this possible and he's like i have no idea
1: and that's interesting because you know we're always talking about sufficiently advanced technology and distinguish from magic fairly sophisticated people from this timeline have no fucking clue how this happened. This is like magical to mm-hmm. them, which I think is, uh, uh, is, is, is telling. It's interesting.
0: Yeah. Uh, and, and it's all ringing in my ears with him saying, you know, at scales large enough, I become insignificant too. Uh, has this plan just kind of exceeded the grasp of, of harry at this point is that what's happening here is this plan spinning out of his control yeah and
1: it seems like it's all at the direction of the prime meridian he's like following that alone along like a lodestone um this isn't stuff that he's wanting to do it's what the prime radiant requires the prime radiant requires yeah. you to be in a flesh and blood body interesting
0: yeah is there still a copy of him inside the chamber here on una's world
1: I don't know. Or did they have
0: to? Is this now a third copy With of With the Harry? digital consciousness, yeah, you could, you could make as many copies as you want. You know, I just had this thought
1: of, like, one use of a flesh and blood body would be as an offer, like, uh, could a flesh and blood Harry present himself to the Empire as, like, you got me. I've been off in I've been off in uh, being worshipped as a prophet in cryo sleep for several generations, but you're really applying a pressure to us, and it's time for me to hand myself in.
0: Hmm, he's
1: like a sacrificial Maybe. lamb, a scapegoat,
0: sacrificial Harry. Yeah, I could see it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Or he could be like, Oh, I've been, clo-, you know, cause like, yeah, why haven't you aged 163 years? Well, I've been taking a page off of your book and I've been cloning myself over. I I, I could, that'd be an interesting possibility. I could see cause there's- they gotta, they have to, the, the, the crisis is the empire's coming for them now. They got their mm-hmm. best general doing recon. Uh, he's got a big fleet. Um, maybe the F- F- foundation's ready to take him on. Maybe they're not, but there's gotta be a way through this crisis. Um, and and maybe yes, offered himself up as a as a uh, as a Trojan horse type of sacrifice would be the way to go. Could be anyway. Um, I, I can loud. also
0: I can also see this being, uh, you know, I asked what would Harry do. Um, I mean, the the root of that is what would Jesus do. I could see this being a resurrection style. You know, prophet God sort of thing that could happen here if he were to show up in Terminus. Boy, that would restore the faith of a lot of people real quick, right? True. Uh, Especially because the vault has opened, but not shown. Harry has not shown his face there. This could be set up for that.
1: Yeah, you could have like a Christ Antichrist. Like you got like the goods Harry versus the evil Harry. You could go with like a Trinity. Uh Like if uh, Callie's made a copy of him and you got a flesh and blood one, And, and and that even kind of like. Kind of, you know, you got the God, the Father, God, the Holy Spirit, God, the Son. He, you know, he's made flesh again. Uh, there's a lot of mm-hmm. interesting Judeo-Christian uh, mythic areas they could go down with this path. I, yeah, like I said, this is, yeah. I mean, we're so far off the literal page. It's like, I feel like I could speculate to my heart's content on these
0: things. <laughs> of course. The thing that I love about it, though, is there's no way to say, to point it this and be like, oh, this isn't realistic. Like, uh, that technology is stupid because so much of this has been magical pr- practically magical but based in science anyway yeah so now you're just like yeah they could bring harry back and human uh, body. not Why a not? single problem with that no yeah. nope. so i don't know it's super interesting and i'm very excited to see you next episode is that it for the episode this episode yeah
1: all right well uh if you would like to send this feedback it's easy to do so foundation of dot don't forget to add the goyer uh to your subject line if it's a particular question for him because these are things i'm gonna have to save up uh, until we we talk to him if we end mm-hmm. up getting lucky enough to talk to him foundation of bald
0: you're listening to foundation and podcast we'll be right back And we're back. Respect and enjoy the podcast.
1: All right. First up is David. He says regarding episode two in the market scene with brother constant and the old man, just as constant walks into market. We see shot of the old man touches temple and there's a red flash in his eye. We go back to episode one when Demerzel is briefing the Cleons. She mentions rumors from the edge about got to enunciate that. Gotta enunciate, or it sounds like Klingon. Cleon Klingon. Cleon Klingon, <laughs> Klingon, Klingon. It's a vocal warm-up I like to do before foundation. Yeah. And Strange New Worlds. Uh but as she's briefing the Klingons, she mentions rumors from the edge about magicians who glow and fly and are previous to weapons. They decide to do some intel gathering before attacking. My guess is this old man is a spy for the Empire, and he's going to see what they that they have shield and jump technology, both of which would represent a major threat to the Empire. Uh, no, you're you're 100
0: correct. Um, so, Empire abandons the planet but leaves spies behind. Smart.
1: Yeah, and we see this episode. Ooh, that's a yeah. They don't they don't leave them entirely to their advance their own devices. You wonder why it's taken this long for the Empire to kind of cotton anything or to to, to cotton on to anything,
0: right? Yeah, and why they, it feels like they're completely in the dark what's happening in the Outer Rim or out of reach uh but maybe- yeah but like also
1: if you hear about magicians who fly and grow around or tricksters like do you automatically associate them with the foundation and i i guess sure. also the a lot on empire's mind uh-huh. uh yep. in the last hundred years or so so but no good good spot with the uh the uh eye camera zach says i'm thinking that technological progress and foundation has been stifled by the empires is uh with our discussion about you know how technological stasis can sometimes happen in these far flung futures mm-hmm. um i think the tech progress and foundation has been stifled by the empire especially long-distance space flight if space flight requires a special person to pilot and guide the ships and only empire has that knowledge they control shipping and the ability to conduct interstellar warfare Perhaps there's some changes in tech in other areas, but the ability to control long-distance spaceflight would reduce threats to the Empire. I suppose an invading army could go to cryosleep for 200 years to get to Trantor, but how long can a person stay mad enough to kill and die? Um, Well, I
0: mean, if you go to sleep mad, you probably wake up mad. True. Um, But, But, but yeah, I, I, I get your point. In 200 years, I guess you really have to repress the technological advancement to not have you know essentially magical weapons once they show up 200 years later right
1: yeah that was a, that's actually a plot point that they develop in the three body problem series is like what oh, if yeah, you yeah. if you launch a battle fleet to conquer your neighbors and it takes 500 years to get there and you're showing up a 500 year old technology and it's curb stop you know like huh totally you got lasers and they got turbo lasers or mm-hmm. you got nuclear weapons and they got photons you're torpedoes. the
0: ewoks and they're the empire yeah
1: exactly <laughs> wait <a> exactly sec. <laughs> but uh I think yeah like it, it does seem that like it wouldn't be as big a deal because there's just not that much um there's that there's not that much uh change that's happening uh-huh you also it's like possible. if you go to cryo sleep to do an invasion fleet you also give them 200 years to find you and fuck with you in flight mm-hmm. you know i wonder if people can be even be tracked and molested inside hyperspace travel like you're not in the universe That's a good anymore. question
0: yeah you kind of just appear where uh-huh. at your destination right so like probably not but in that case you wouldn't be in hyperspace or warp or whatever they want to call it um, And I think you spend some I don't think it's
1: instantaneous I do think you like you open up the wormhole and then you spend some amount of time and, but like but but yeah it, it's not clear to me you know because like obviously in Star Trek they're the way their uh, warp drive works is you can track you can shoot you can exchange fire mm-hmm. you match speed you transport, beam
0: yep.
1: and then like in Star Wars it's always kind of styled that if you get to hyperspace you're fucking gone You know, Mm -hmm. you can't really be tracked. You can't be.
0: Star Trek also has the concept of wormholes, which is a much more like instantaneous thing and a space where you could still like fight and and fly and encounter other ships and stuff. So true does seem like they think you should be able to fight in warp meet profits. You can do all kinds of things in wormholes. But if you're folding space the way that it seems like they're folding space Shouldn't it yeah. be roughly instantaneous? Like That's I, the
1: thing with the whole yeah, the whole, you know, folding space. It's the classic, you know, fold the fold the piece of paper and then punch uh-huh. a hole, and it's like you don't have to travel. That's just boom. You're just there,
0: right? You bring space yeah. to you and then you pop out on the other side of it.
1: The only reason I thought that it takes a while is because we saw Gail awake in transit in season one. So it's like that implies that it's not like a Like a Mm -hmm. literal like snap, there's some kind of travel. Mm -hmm. Um, Greta Marie says, I believe one of Demerzel's primary roles is to be whatever the current Day needs. In season one, the Dynasty's threatened by Day wanting to let Dawn live, so Demerzel does what Day cannot, breaks Dawn's neck and tells Day she's loyal to the Dynasty above all else. In season two, we find Day more insecure and arrogant. Correspondingly, Demerzel's role changes. She's sleeping with him, offers him reassurances, and helps him work through his tantrums. I believe that the change in her appearance matches this change in her role. A thoughtful and thinking Day of season one needs a dimmerzelle who is proper and official looking. Her dress and hair are softly styled. Day from season two is edgier, and so dimmerzelle is as well. Her dress has this hard leather look. Her bodice is molded into a way similar to the blue chest plate Day wears when he's on the throne. Her hair, while still pulled back, is in a straight ponytail rather than the loops uh, she had in season one uh so what do you think because i i definitely seems to be a harder look to her um like maybe like like there's something into like the leather superhero outfit type of i don't know about her bodice so i feel like that's always been kind of like molded l- l- to, to kind of ape the imperial style what what do you think of this analysis do you buy into it that <laughs> uh Dem-Rizell's becoming the woman she needs to be in any particular moment
0: it's really hard to see how what she's doing here is aiding the empire as, as a concept, because um, she seems to be feeding right into Day's plan to essentially eliminate the Kleonic dynasty. And I, I think that's really weird. She might have some, you know, alternate path through which she's approaching the preservation of that dynasty right now that we just can't see yet. Um,
1: or it could be her and Day are working an angle to, like, bring Dominion here to kill them you know this could be a like a, a power play and not and not a threat to the Cleonic dynasty at all but
0: does not trust his brothers with that yeah maybe i that's hmm I hadn't considered that possibility this is all put on uh, I, I
1: don't i don't i don't believe that because i think day is sincere that he thinks they're at the end anyway that this instability uh telling that he's maybe the most unstable of them and
0: you know he's like ah oh, mm-hmm. this is too much we're going to have to you know yeah i and that's one of the things i love about the show when i talk about the details right it's not just in oh how has the technology evolved and do the ships look different but the characters are looking different too and i hadn't noticed the Dimmerzel look change uh because it was two years ago that the first season came out um but that probably yeah says a lot about her role like she's changing with the times and not just with the fashion of the times probably with her role she might have to block a blade with her head.
1: You know, she needs sure. harder, more armored. She might start wear. wearing a helmet. Yeah.
0: <laughs> It'd yeah, be a good idea. Yeah. Why doesn't she have the power uh, armor? Yeah. Why doesn't she have the the shield that Cleon has? Probably because she's just
1: so like, I got I like I don't know is is like the classic uh, what was that the Tumblr post with the mushroom that says you cannot kill me in any way which would matter. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Or I cannot be killed in any way that would matter. Yeah, uh, like backups, you might, like, backups w- and all that. Yeah, yeah. Like if, like, how how would you kill Dimmerzel mm-hmm. with a conventional weapon? You know, I mean, then again, like how they- would
0: you kill the clones? You know, I. It, it seems like that might apply to them as well. I think well, there are I've ways to wondered- do it, but when hard. she says her consciousness is distributed
1: you know that's one of the first questions I had how distributed are yeah. we talking about are we talking about flash copies are we talking about backed up off site off planet because mm-hmm. like if you, you want to end the like I, I wonder is there a second empire the way that Harry's playing a second foundation like is there somewhere off world where copies are decant could, could, are, are canted and mm-hmm. memory backed up because yeah like you're asking me how I would end the de- uh, destroy Trantor I think if you destroy sure. Trantor, now that's a
0: big, uh, probably a big job, uh-huh. but that's a lot how of you ships, do it. You know? Yeah. For sure. Um, and, and it's interesting to me that you brought up the the second empire thing, because I think there is a direct analog here. Um, if you want to say that, you know, Dimmerzel's role kind of changes through time, it's a direct connection to Harry in that, right? Mm. He's meant to be the guiding force for the foundation, much in the same way, and, and he kind of becomes what he needs to be in order to get that job done. Dimmerzell could be the same thing.
1: Yeah, and there's also a nice duality too there because like the foundation is able to d- adapt and change because mm-hmm. they don't have any like set thing that this foundation has to be, uh, whereas the empire can't. The empire has to always be Cleon.
0: Yeah, true.
1: Um, which makes me think that like day is gonna fail like I can't like ad- so let me ask you this do you <laughs> think that they'll ever get away from the Kleonic dynasty before the show's over because I kind of, I on the one hand it feels yeah. like I was talking to Pete Peppers and he's like well they got to uh-huh. because like the this things and they're going to have to come up but on the other hand I fucking like the Kleon so much that I hope yeah I want to see them go full-on mutant hunchback or something in season three I, I want to see how far it goes because I just really have
0: a lot of fun Well, we have thousands of years to get there, right? That's the saving grace, is we've gone 135 years or whatever, and and Harry's prediction was 10,000 years of darkness. So the Empire could be falling for a very long time. True. Where, what? Hmm. I
1: felt like when they flash forward into Gale's future that they were heavily implying that the Empire had fallen.
0: Oh, you think Um, so? With what, well, just like or the maybe fire the, and the, the destruction, the, the, and...
1: maybe the galactic war had
0: for the empire to fall had well and truly begun. Uh... Yeah, yeah, I think that's part of part of the war. But there's no it, well, look, I haven't read the books uh, besides yeah. the first book and the war with uh, the the empire doesn't happen in that book. I don't know if it ever happens in the books, but. There's nothing to say that the Foundation wins that war, right? I mean, the Foundation could get their ass kicked, tuck their tail, and run. They seem confident, but they could be—you know—they could that—that that could be a fool's
1: confidence. Because I don't have much confidence in the Foundation's leadership at this point.
0: Uh huh. Yeah. We'll, well, we'll see. But I—I I don't know. It's all to say, like, I think we could see the Cleons really change over the course of a thousand years, let alone ten thousand. Ah, yeah. I just hope they get to the keep that that the, the genetic
1: dynasty is just man I'd it, oh, yeah, right. it'd be a sad day of course I'd also be excited to see what they replace it with yeah, um, but it's the
0: best innovation of this show right the best departure from the books I think that it's, yeah, it's, that it's up come there. up with on it's own yeah it's amazing
1: Um. so Greta Marie has been waiting patiently for us to finish uh, to get to her other point she says my more out there theory is that I think her purpose this season is to support day all watch all to bring try to bring him back in line with the historic Cleon dynasty. I would guess that her programming, since you must keep the Cleonic dynasty running, makes her focus more on Day. He's the aspect of the empire with the most power, and Day is likely the person who can cause the most damage to the dynasty. It wouldn't be advantageous to just kill him, and perhaps she can't with her programming. So she sleeps with him, perhaps to distract him from the marriage, and she has the blind angels break in and show him the idea of marriage is making him vulnerable. Uh, so this is, I think, mm. the second time someone has suggested that uh, the cor- uh, the corruption goes all the way to the top, to the thing that the empire thinks is most incorruptible, Demerzel herself.
0: But the, maybe Demerzel's it's not corruption; it's it's simply, you know, station keeping, right? <laughs> like it's corruption ah. in the name of preservation. But if there's no chance to return to a stable orbit, then what? Sure. And I don't know if there is. Um, yeah, I think that's totally possible. I, I think it's a good thing that I really have no idea who sent these assassins at this point. Yeah. Um, I've got some and ideas. A reminder, too, cause and people...
1: uh, a reminder, too, that we are a show first podcast. Like I've read all the books, <laughs> but it was back in high school. That's uh, <laughs> almost 30 years ago at this point. Jim has read the first book two years ago. Mm-hmm. So, like, uh, we're familiar with a little bit of things, but, like, we honestly have no idea where things are going, especially with as much uh, yeah. jazz as Goyer and company are are playing. Uh, Matt says, one thing I found interesting, and I don't know if anyone has ref- referenced it in an email or not, is that referring to the three emperors collectively and individually as Empire. It seems a very specific language choice to do this, and it makes me wonder if is in fact, loyal to the Empire as a whole, but not to the Cleon clones in particular. Maybe she's behind the scenes plotting and making moves and using the word Empire as a sort of loophole to be loyal to the person of Empire when necessary, but also to the concept of Empire in the long run. Perhaps oh, yeah. she's seen that the person of Empire is different from the Cleon she observed or their emperors that she has served before. The events on the Maiden where she made uh, to kill Zephyr Halima is only one of the many things she's had to do that we haven't seen that led her to believe that clones are vastly different from the original Cleon. Maybe she believes that either corrupting the genes or allowing them to corrupt or better to evolve themselves naturally instead of replicating them from the original body is the best thing for the concept of empire. Mm-hmm. No, I, I do think it. they play with the capital E empire and her talking about the capital E empire in just that way. Uh, to keep things ambiguous. Yeah. To keep giving them wiggle room to do crazy things. Um...
0: And I think each of the Cleons has a different or very specific definition of empire to them, right? I imagine this yeah. the seventeenth here probably feels very differently about the word empire than the thirteenth or the first, right? Sure. Oh, for yeah, for sure. But I, no, I, it's, I it's slick.
1: I, I like the idea of Damozel being loyal to not just the empire, but maybe humanity. You know, going back to that zeroth uh-huh. law we talk about that derived law of like you know a, a robot having generalized benevolence towards all of humans and then not act in any way or, th- or through their inaction will allow humanity as a whole to come to harm and that's where you start getting really interesting moral dilemmas when you throw you know not just individualized humans but the concept of humanity um, and I think they're playing around with that but uh, it's also one of those things because again, they don't have the rights to the iRobot, to the 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 international robotics, I think, the IR, the the all the different robotics plot lines, and they don't have access to like the third laws or the the the, the laws of robotics. So like, but that stuff that's like that that uh, the Asimov, especially later in his life, wove like it wasn't like the Foundation series and the robots. it's like all mm-hmm. of these things kind of got woven in into a larger kind of a universe. So. Mm-hmm. Um, they're able to backdoor some of that stuff, but it's, well, you, it's stuff that there's hinting at. I think.
0: Before this podcast, you would sent me a screenshot that kind of blew We're my not, mind, that like, I don't want to cause right. any dry pie here, but I am itching to talk about that thing. Well, we are uh, talking about it
1: right now, because yes. Jordan from Richmond, Virginia says, I'm not sure if you guys have talked about this yet, but Demerzel's Dem- robot repair kit box. So this mm-hmm. is kind of like her like clutch purse, her makeup kit, her robot repair kit. It's, it's that, that jeweled case that she keeps to, to, to fix her face. Mm-hmm. Uh, I noticed it has a picture of Earth's solar system on it. I think this indicates that she's probably much older than the 11,000 years, probably closer to hundreds of thousands of years old, and shouldn't her relationship with Day be considered... Well, let's, let's state there first. I don't know how we get hundreds of thousands of years, because honestly, I don't know how
0: far uh-huh. in the future we are from our time. I don't either. Um, You can tell me it's, right. it's three to five thousand years and i would certainly believe it if you look at this image there
1: is what's obviously a representation of the sun and then there's eight jewels and they're all painted Mm -hmm. to look like the third one's clearly earth the fifth one's clearly jupiter they're all sized
0: too it's all it's yeah yeah
1: yeah they're all sized they're in the right order um Mm -hmm. and it's my impression of the universe as it is is that the soul system earth the sun all those things are almost mythological places at this point like
0: trantor is not earth i don't no. think so no I, <laughs> I well okay i i assumed it was not earth yeah
1: um, because it's got a different name and all that, and I think like uh, does, is there an odd number? Of, like, I'm trying to think of like from what we've seen of its solar system, is there anything we could do to rule it out either? Or, but 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 yeah, no, this is so. um, this is pretty crazy.
0: Yeah, I'm not sure it says that she's potentially much much older. What it might say is she's been around before even the two regimes that we know of right you got the cleonic dynasty and you've got the empire before that which she is she outdates she predates both of those yeah she's pre-imperial it's, technology like what is she a boston dynamics robot that like they finally perfected <laughs> that and dimmer the result yeah did she come out dude, of some she's... mit lab somewhere i i don't know yeah she's the the dancing robot but it's super Uh, weird right because they've never even hinted that we are in our solar system here
1: yeah no man it's it's funny you say boston the names but that would be a really fucking cool idea i like when they play with that (laughs) like uh Uh you know how they did in 2001 when hal was dying he goes out singing daisy which was one of Uh the very first ibm supercomputer demo things that they did nice Uh, that grind grind its hard disk drives or its tape drives to make that sound that that sound I, mm-hmm. that would be cool i'm not like like <laughs> it'd be really funny like i can see this like montage in season five of dimmerzel thinking about the sweep of her life and it starts off with some nerds in a lab trying to shove her over as she's walking <laughs> over boxes <laughs> and, and trying to go terrain, upstairs yeah. and there's guys she, like because you've seen that like guys at boston just just drop kicking the robots and trying to th- and uh-huh. trying to make them fall and uh, then she, she goes from that to like walking the spiral, and
0: <laughs> that'd be cool. Oh, yeah. If the spiral was actually just like one of the tests they did and it turned into a religion eventually, <laughs> right? Uh, that'd be weird. But yeah, I, I so its implications are interesting, right? If she is mm-hmm. 11,000 years old and a product of the, or the solar system of Earth, like where do her loyalties lie? Is there something older than both of these empires that we know of that really set her on her trajectory and now she's just kind of fulfilling that promise It's Cthulhu, eventually all goes back to the great (laughs) old ones,
1: you know Sure, yeah uh, huh? Let's move on. So keep your keep your eyes peeled for more revelations about Dimmerzelle's ancientness. But we'll move on to David Hood, who says in regards to the foundation using religion as a tool to promote their ideas is a pretty common theory in the fifties and sixties science fiction. The fact that you think of Scientology, uh, the fact that you thought of Scientology is not a stretch. Obviously, Elron Hubbard was steeped in the science fiction community, and if you look at this text and Hubbard's text, when Heinlein's Stranger in a Strange Land. They all feature this theme that you must teach science and philosophy through religion. The masses with myth, myth, mytholo, mytholo, mythologize, mythologize. Got it. Got it. Almost went off the went 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 through the safety barrier. Stayed stay between the lines. The masses with mythologized science anyway. This way it can be controlled. Yeah, I think this all this goes back to like you know communism you know, if religion hmm. is the opiate of the masses kind of like this was yeah. all in, this was the big, big idea, the big threatening idea at the time. And they were clearly playing with it. I don't know if it goes it beyond sense. that, but um, clearly in 2023, we're in a different place when it comes to, you know, religion yeah. and secularism and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think it's, 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 ob- yeah, it, it seems obvious. So why Asimov would, would be fascinated with that idea, Says, finally,
0: it, it makes a lot of sense in the development of a civilization too, and I think that's that's one of the larger things he's getting at right is how does a new civilization develop um, from from scratch? yeah
1: yeah uh, finally if this is truly a metaphor for the fall of the Roman Empire. it could be argued the Catholic Church held Europe together until the Renaissance. The church maintained a library of pre collapsed literature and monks diligently copied every scrap of paper they could get their hands on. And this way, religion saved the contents of civilization until people are able to read Plato and Aristotle once again. Uh, yeah, that's sure. an interesting take on things, too.
0: Yeah, I mean they do some preservation work for sure, or did I don't know about now. Uh, it's it's one of many facets of what religion did then, for sure. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, you. You never know. You never know how your culture
1: is going to be preserved. Um. Let's move on to Alvin, who says, I'm not precious about a lot of adaptations and adapted works. However, Asimov and Vonnegut, two authors I am precious about. I read the Foundation series about five years ago um, already, a grown-ass man with 35 years of experience with visual language I could not possibly envision the world Apple and Goyer have created. It's gorgeous. I think a lot of adaptations don't work because people have a vision in their heads of what an author's world looks like and are disappointed it doesn't uh, look like what they've imagined. Also, as much mm. as I love Foundation, it has its flaws, and I think the show is fixing some of it, uh, i.e. a more cohesive story. I think there's a chance to be a better sci-fi adaptation than The Expanse. Whoa. Mm. Not talking about the overall product, because The Expanse might be the best science fiction show ever, but how well do you think this adaptation is going to be? The first two episodes gives me hope that it'll be fantastic. Um,
0: where, hey, yeah, what's your temperature on I, I'm encouraged. How, um, You know, I I definitely had some uh, quibbles with season one, for sure. But there's a lot of potential there, too. And I think they're starting to fix some of the problems that I saw. And a lot of it was, you know... Well, a lot of it's just taste. Like, do we really need action scenes here? And, And could the action scenes be better, I guess? In a lot of cases, it wasn't necessarily objecting to an action scene in this location, but it just wasn't done particularly well. Yeah.
1: Better execution, better integration to
0: the plot and Uh the characters. Yeah. And I think they're getting there with that stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. I'd say still not like perfect and it's still not like blowing me away on that front, but the other areas it still is pretty amazing in. And uh, yeah, I think it has a ton of potential. Look, expanse is, way up there on my list i don't think you're wrong when you say it could be considered for all-time best sci-fi so to set that bar for foundation i think is uh you know it's a high bar it's a very high bar we'll see if they hit it but I, i think they're moving in the right direction for sure
1: yeah and i think that uh i think Goyer and his writers are really good at coming up with like these big ideas i feel like foundation is a good scaffolding because it's like a very bare bones you know mm-hmm. it's got this big idea not a lot of fleshed out characters some of the plotting is a little bit uh, and then this happened and then this happened and it doesn't feel really connected to these thin characters in a satisfying
0: way is um, it kind of like what they're doing with house of the Dragon? you know you've got and then this and then that and this but they're George adding just, so much yeah.
1: like two or three paragraphs will be an hour-long episode because it's just mm-hmm. like you know a basic historic fact but you know you zoom into any like you, you you can um uh you can read a three paragraph summary of the battle of stalingrad mm-hmm. or you can do a two-hour movie on a sniper duel you or know you do a 16 hour
0: minutes. series of
1: dan carlin podcasts. yeah you or and, or you can spend your whole life studying it like there's like this it's, it's totally, one of those yeah. things where you can zoom in and out and like the foundation is written from the perspective of being way to hell zoomed out and uh it's like i think it's a really perfect scaffold for them to plug those ideas like Ooh, cleonic d- dynasty and uh mm-hmm. And, you know, also Foundation has a lot of, like, this stuff about the Foundation morphing into a quasi-religion is right out of the, the, the book. So if you're liking that, that's, like, a original. If you like the Cleonic Dynasty, that's a Goyer kind of thing. But I, I'm I'm very pleased. Um, uh, you know, I would forgive a hell of a lot just to get the visuals of this show. That's the thing. They've already
0: created, I, I, I don't know, an expanse, a, a, a time... Uh, an all-time great-looking sci-fi show. Even yeah. if this show turned into trash tomorrow, uh, all downhill past next episode, I'd be like, well, they still made this beautiful work of art.
1: Yeah. And like I said, I, I was, I'm was i prepared to forgive a lot for the visuals and the sci-fi you know, goodness of this show, but I feel like I haven't really had to sacrifice much. You know? Like,
0: I'm not really overlooking a lot. The last show I felt that way about was... Um, that ridley scott uh wolves what was it raised, oh, by, raised wolves. by wolves uh-huh that was kind of a beautiful show in its own way and it had mm-hmm. some interesting ideas but its execution i thought was very bad it didn't quite yeah wasn't ever quite able to
1: caheze enough for me to want to know what i made it through the first season but i never got into the second and i think i canceled after that so yeah sometimes yeah. uh you know you can be good looking in an empty suit um I don't nothing, think this show is going that, on for sure in between the years, but yeah, I don't. That's not this show. Mm-hmm. Uh, finally, this is a little bit of a tangent, but uh, we're still in the we're still in badass, badass mode here at Bald move, celebrating her badass fest. He says, I'm catching up on your badass content since I've become a club member. Well, thank you, thank you for your support. <laughs> My boy Lee Pace has got to be at least a 1.94c badass, right? The second he pulled up in the regal ass elk in the Hobbit movies, he won me over. Granted, his character is split into three and done well by two other actors, but his portrayal of Dawn and uh, Tharanduil at least put him in consideration territory. I think Lee Pace is on our list to be considered, his badass status rated and considered. But uh, I think he's got more than those roles, too, Uh, because he was also Ronan the Accuser in the first Guardians of the Galaxy. Mm-hmm. Uh, possessor of a, I mean, that's that's fucking badass. And the dude is like a god. He is like six foot six and looking the way he does naked. Uh, I think he would he would make a lot of noise.
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: Uh, um, probably somewhere in between. I I'm, I'm guessing a one point seven five to two point two
0: five. I, I don't, don't know. know if you're going to convince me with the Hobbit movies because those are garbage, and I I watched I don't them. count quote unquote watched them. He is which portrayed as the elf king. He's a badass. Probably a badass. I don't know because I don't remember him in those at all.
1: Yeah, maybe next year we'll get around to, to sorting him. Um, all I remember of those uh, movies is he a is on the 60,
0: 60 minute dragon fight scene. On never a, on a those bunch movies. of peers. Did you
1: even see the first Hobbit?
0: Yeah, all of I, I have been in the presence of all of those movies playing on a television. Ah, which is about as close to watching that. those movies as I'll ever get. I put them on in the I, background and did other things. I didn't know that did you watched
1: the third one. I'm impressed because yeah. I've. That's what I think that's the only Peter Jackson uh, Middle Earth movie I've only seen exactly once. It was at the theater. <laughs> I'm like, yup. Yep.
0: You went to the theater to see it? Oh, I'd put HBO Max or whatever. Maybe, huh? maybe
1: I didn't. I just remember because like, I was contemporaneously reading my son that book and um I had just finished it like a couple nights before, I think. But I just remember huh. like. Jesus Christ. There's only five pages left in this whole book. And that's what this movie is gonna be about. How in the hell? And yeah, it just didn't it didn't go it didn't go great. It's hard to blow up five pages into yep. three hour runtime. Anyway uh, that's it for the content this week. Once again, foundation foundationofbaldmove.com is how you send us feedback. Uh, you, if you want to follow us, we're easy to find. Pretty much anywhere on social media at Bald Move, except for TikTok, we're at Baldest Move there. Uh, if you want to follow with all the latest uh, weekly posts to show what we're doing and like, uh, like uh, f- uh, follow along all of releases. And if you have been with us for a while and uh, you would like to get ads out of your life and you'd like to support our podcasts and keep us making more of them, we cordially welcome you to the club. You go to support.baldmove.com to find out how you can quickly and easily join to get tons of bonus content from Bald Move as well as ad-free feeds and hey, the satisfaction of knowing you're supporting people out there make an independent podcast thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of foundation we'll be back with the fourth episode uh next week until then i'm aaron i'm jim respect and enjoy the podcast